Welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast, a place to listen and learn about the diagnosis and treatment of chronic headache and migraine pain, because information can be the best medicine. Hi, and welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Lowenstein, and I have a really interesting uh, guest today and um a very unique one. Uh, Jamie Sanders is a blogger and a, uh, I guess, I personally think even more importantly, uh, a patient and migraine advocate, um, an advocate for patients with migraine. And uh, she has been kind enough to uh, to join me uh, here today. And so, uh, Jamie, thank you very much for, for, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on the, the show today. Um, you have a, I guess your, your primary outlet is, um, is the blog called The Migraine Diva, and that blog is, you can fill in that which I don't know, but um, I'd say it's an award-winning blog, right? I mean, you've gotten uh, some kudos from uh, the blogging community as well as the migraine community, and from what I've seen, there's just a lot of great information and a lot of resources that uh, that you have there. Yes, I I use my blog as a platform to reach out and connect with others in the headache and migraine community because having migraine, especially in my case, having chronic migraine, it could be very isolating, spending so much time at home, in bed, in the dark, in, in your room you're not very social. So reaching out and, um, and being able to, you know, conversate with other people and share experiences that, uh, with others that, you know, are the same as yours is very important. So that's one of the reasons why, um, I started the blog and also I wanted it to be a place that could help educate because there's such a huge stigma around migraine. And I wanted to show exactly what migraine is that it's simply more than just a headache that it is it is a neurological disease and it is very complicated and can be very difficult to treat when it's very when it's progressed to the stage of being chronic and it does have huge impacts on a person's life and i wanted to chronicle that as a wife and a mother and how that affects me and the roles that i play in my daily life and i just wanted to help break down those those stereotypes and those stigmas behind it and really put a, a face to what migraine is and help others feel validated in their own experiences and in their stories. I spend a good amount of time on Facebook uh, and in the kind of, there's so many Facebook forums that are kind of closed. And it's interesting to me that you're, you've got kind of the opposite. You're... Uh, very open, very accessible, and uh, kind of easy to find. You can just you know, do enough Googling to find your your blog, whereas uh, I think a lot of people are are feeling isolated. And the the connections that people make, um, and and what I see in the in the Facebook community, are just super helpful to 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 sufferers who really feel that that they're alone. So um, I think that's that's fantastic that you're doing it. 
Um, you want to talk a little bit about how you how this came to pass? I mean, when you you have migraine yourself, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about how um, that developed in your life. Sure, migraine started in my life when I was a, a child. Um, I was diagnosed when I was eight with with migraine, and it does run on my mother's side. She did grow up with migraine herself. Her father had migraine. So she she recognized what my symptoms were, but she, she brought me into my pediatrician. She wanted to rule out that it wasn't anything serious, but I was seen by a neurologist back then. This was like 1986, I want to say. Um, and I was diagnosed with migraine and I was put on preventive medication. And at that point, I was episodic. And for those listening that don't know what episodic means, you have 14 or less days of uh, migraine days per month. So I was still able to function, but it still impacted my daily life. It impacted school. Um, I dealt with people who didn't understand. My peers didn't understand. Teachers didn't understand. You know, if I missed, you know, a couple of days of school in a row over something that they thought was just a headache. Um, So there was a lot of um, just people just not understanding the severity of what I was dealing with. But for the most part, um, throughout going through my school age years, um, I remained episodic and had maybe about two severe migraine attacks per month, but I still would have mild ones every couple of days um, throughout the month. And when I was growing up though, my doctors told me, well, you'll outgrow them when you turn about 18. So in my mind, they had an expiration date. So I was like, well, I can get through this, you know, through these years because it's not going to affect me and plus my mother really didn't have that many migraine attacks I didn't see her suffer from them the way I was so I was like she was my example it's like well my mother's not really dealing with them that much so that's what I expected for myself as well but that was not the case when I was in my um, early 20s I got married really young and had my kids young so my my last pregnancy I was about 23 and during my first trimester I had a migraine the entire trimester and that was my first experience of having an intractable migraine and at that time I did not know that's what it was and my neurologist that I saw never called it that so I didn't know that it had a term that it had a name Um, but that was the first time I had a migraine that lasted that long and it was you know the pain was pretty severe on a daily basis so I thought it had to be something more serious than a migraine because this was not normal for me. Um, so I had an MRI done and when it came back that everything was fine, I was kind of disappointed because I'm like, well, if, it, if there isn't anything wrong, then, and it's just a migraine, there's really not much you, I can do about it. And that You know, that's funny. It's, 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 I see that on, on Facebook all the time to the point that I actually did a blog on my website to say, you know, if you have a negative MRI, you need to be happy because brain tumors are not good, right? right? But people are so frustrated that they're just all they want is a source. They want to decide. They want to find out why something like this is happening. Right. Um, and you lose sight of the fact that you don't have a tumor. You know, <laughs> there's I know. it's it's a better thing. It is. And it's very warped thinking. And I, I, you know, I realized that what I'm thinking, I'm like, you, you really don't want a brain tumor, but it's, but you can, that's tangible. That's something that, you know, you can see, you can 
you know, okay, I know what it is, but with migraine, it's so evasive and it's so elusive. Um, and it's just this thing that exists, but it's has all this, uh, you know, mystery around it. <laughs> and it's just so difficult to treat. It's, it's disappointing when that's all that it is, because that means I'm going to have to deal with this. And for the most part, really not have the best options as far as treating my pain, especially as a pregnant woman. Um, so I just had to deal with it. Um, but ever since I got through that first trimester, migraine was very different for me after that point. Um, they stopped being intractable once I got to my second and third trimester. But when I did get a migraine attack, they lasted a lot longer and they didn't respond to medication like it used to. I was able to use over-the-counter medications to treat, you know, acute migraine attacks, um, but they were becoming less responsive to that. So I had to start um, using prescription abortive medications and then eventually going on preventive medications because they just started to occur more frequently over the years. And by the time I was about 26, 27, that's when I was diagnosed with chronic migraine. And about a year after that, I was diagnosed with new daily persistent headache and chronic daily headache. So I was in pain every single day. And at that point, my kids were still in elementary and middle school. So it was really, really, really difficult trying to raise a family um, and manage a house household and be a wife and try to manage my pain, which was unrelenting and just not responding to what treatments I was applying to it. Um, so migraine has been very... Uh, <laughs> a very impactful presence in my life. Um, but it was through that journey that started me on this, this, uh, this road to wanting to one better myself and educate myself and to want to connect with others. And that opened the door to this space of advocacy, which, um, I'm very grateful for because it not only helps me advocate for myself, um, when it comes to my health care, but it helps me elevate other people's voices and help them see that their voice does count and they have a say in their health care. And that's very important for me. That's, um, you know, it's, I would say one of the only, <clears throat> excuse me, the only uh, things that are more complicated than migraine is the healthcare system. So you, you sign, you, you, you're mixing, uh, pain and suffering uh to, to do this so that's great i'm glad you're i'm glad you're doing it because it is very it is a very very comminuted um situation your your blog like how do you decide what to write about and and what resources to to utilize there for the most part um my blog is like an online diary so, and I'm very transparent about what I'm experiencing. I don't sugarcoat anything. I like it to be real raw and um, very real. And um, and for me, that's the only way that's going to help break down stigma is by showing the real face of what something is and how it truly affects someone. And so it's just a documentation of how migraine shows up in my life, how I approach it, how it affects me emotionally. Um, I also... Um, have depression and anxiety so that plays a major part in how 
I see migraine, how I approach it, how I feel about it, how it makes me feel as a person. Um, and it also plays a role in how and what treatments I, I use and how integrative I am with, with um, the approach to my, to my treatments. Um, so I'm very open and, and transparent about those things and how, you know, I could just be having a, sometimes I just feel really, really, really defeated about migraine and my treatments. And I'm going to talk about that. And it's okay to have those feelings. And we can't always be 100% positive and gung-ho all the time. And it's okay to have those days where you just don't have that much of a fight in you, but it's okay as long as you don't lose that hope. Um, that's my main purpose, my main goal. It's okay to have those days where you're just having a bad day. It's, you know, that's going to happen. But it's important to focus on the little things that you did accomplish because sometimes we can't do those bigger tasks because it takes a toll on us. But if you manage to get up and brush your teeth and throw on some sweatpants and go sit on the front porch and drink a cup of coffee as opposed to staying in bed, that's a huge accomplishment and recognize that for yourself. Um, so I try to, you know, put those little points in my blog as well. And then when it comes to resources, um, I work with a few organizations like the Coalition for Headache and Migraine Patients, CHAMP, the Global Healthy Living Foundation, the Society for Women's Health Research, um, the Headache and Migraine Policy Forum. All these organizations put out great information and great resources um, for migraine uh, around policy, around insurance barriers, around um, access to treatments. And so when I get my hands on that information, I want to spread that and share that with whoever's following my blog, because it's difficult to figure out, like you said, how to navigate the healthcare system. It is so complicated. So if you have a, a resource, a tool that can help you figure out how to get access to specific treatments that you, you may need to treat your migraine, or if you've been denied access to treatment and how you can appeal that decision with your insurer. Who do you contact? That type of information is very important to, for, for people to have at, you know, at their fingertips and be easily found. So um, that type of information is very important for me to, to have available on my blog. And again, just um, we'll, we'll, I'm going to say this lots of times and I'm not, um, I, I, I'm not here to plug uh, anything, but uh, I really I think there are a lot of great uh, resources on Jamie's um, blog, and so it's themigrainediva.com, and uh, you'll you will you'll find uh, there's a there's a lot of great stuff there, um, and so the the personal aspect to your blog is great, and but you've kind of um, evolved that into these different um, affiliations and um, you've I, I'm never really comfortable with this word but you become kind of an, an influencer um, in uh, both socially but also it sounds like actively for for migraine um, for migraine patients um, how like how did that just develop? I mean, you, you, how does that go from somebody putting a diary out on, on a blog to being that involved? It's very interesting. It just happened to come from 
an email from a company saying, hey, we found your blog, we love it, and we love for you to participate in this event. And that happened to be um, an event at the Blogger conference in LA in 2016. And Blogger has the largest women's conference in the world. And so it brings about all these women bloggers who blog about lifestyle, family, health, what have you. Um, and there was a particular panel about migraine that I was asked to be a part of. And that was that was just from them finding my blog online. And wow. that that was just like, I was like, wow. Um, that even like su- surprised me and shocked me. Um, and that's kind of how it all started. And that kind of started the exposure for me. Um, and then getting asked to participate in blogger in a blogger summit. And that brought me in the room with other people who really liked how I spoke and um, the things that I said, and that brought in more opportunities for me. So it, it happened very organically, and it was never a plan for me. But I'm very grateful for it in the way that it transpired, because it's become a vessel for me, and it's become a way for me to turn my pain into empowerment. It's become a very focus thing. I can deal with my daily pain because it has a purpose. It really does have a purpose for me now because I get to do such great things because of my experience with pain. Um, and it's just become such a, an extraordinary journey for me. Um, and one that just keeps evolving. And I'm very grateful to have opportunities to be able to speak at conferences or at summits or at events where I can just really shine a light on the patient perspective and really shine a light on what it's like living with migraine, especially as a woman of color. Um, There aren't that many representations of women that look like me when you think of migraine in the media. So it's important for me to be that voice for people that live with migraine that aren't um, represented. So not just women of color, but men, children, um, people that may not speak English as a first language, marginalized communities. It's important for me to speak on that whenever I'm asked to speak anywhere. So I use this as, as an opportunity to help elevate the conversation and to broaden the conversation and to help enlighten and help try to, you know, bring awareness to other areas and other communities of people that we're not even considering. Um, And usually when we speak about migrant in these um, particular events, we're usually speaking about people who have insurance, people who are insured. Um, But what about those who are underinsured or not insured and their their struggles and their lack of access to care? Um, So these are all very important things for me. These are things that I speak about, things that I like to bring up and discuss and really try to have that conversation. So advocacy has really been a really awesome journey for me and one that I hope continues to grow. We need you um, not only from a patient, you know, I've got migraines as well. So I I can see both sides of this whole story. But the, you know, as a as a migraine surgeon myself, managing the insurance world uh, as a provider is as painful as it is, you know, from a 
from a uh, consumer. Um, and you know, we have, I'm in California, and uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of California just, I can almost uh, just recite what the letter's gonna say before I open it, um, because it, we never get we never get coverage, and so you know it's it's very frustrating because we can help so many more people than we're helping, but people just can't navigate the 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 insurance world, and the insurance uh, policies are just uh, certainly not not doing anything to help. So it's um, it's it's better than great of what you're doing. I, I, I wish I had. Uh, had more local resources uh, like this because again, I'm in California, and you're um, outside of my hometown uh, in D.C. Uh, on the East Coast. But um, it's I, I really I can't say enough great things about the stuff that you're doing. That's that's fantastic. Um, on your on your um, your blog, you have. Um, a couple of things that I'd love to get just a little more familiar with, like what is a 50-state network? Okay, so the 50-state network is a grassroots organization that was put together by the Global Healthy Living Foundation, and it is across all disease states, but what they do is they take people who live with chronic pain, chronic illness, who are very interested in becoming advocates and provide uh, free training, free uh, conference calling, um, and utilize their stories and their experience to help advocate on the local, state, and sometimes in the federal uh, level. So whether that's changing insurance policy, things like non-medical switching or fail first step therapy policies, things that negatively impact the patient and also the physician as well. It negatively impacts the physician-patient relationship. Um, well, that's great. There's there's plenty of things that negatively uh, impact the physician-patient uh, relationship. So that's um, it's, uh, something uh, certainly well needed. You mentioned the uh, uh, CHAMP. Um, yes. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so CHAMP is a... a organization that is a collection of like-minded organizations and uh, patient opinion leaders that are striving to create resources um, and a central hub for patients and caregivers who live with migraine, headache, or cluster disease. Um, so they have um, central access to up-to-date information um, access to all events, things like the Miles for Migraine race walks that happen um, across the country, or events like Shades for Migraine that happen every June that the Association of Migraine Disorders puts together, things like Headache on the Hill that happens every February, um, that lobby event that, happen that happens in uh, D.C. Um, and it's just a central place where you, a patient or providers can go to get information, including um, guides to how to uh, navigate uh, your insurance uh, and how to deal with any barriers you uh, may receive or encounter that way. Um, there is a great language and image guide 
Um, language is very important, what language we use when talking about headache and migraine and cluster um, to help destigmatize it. And um, the image, imagery that we use is very important as well. And they have a great resource there that's very helpful, not just to patients and providers, but also to media. Um, so there's a great wealth of information there and it's shared information amongst um, organizations. So um, it's a really, really a great resource to go to. And that website is headachemigraine.org. I really recommend um, CHAMP as a great resource for, for, for anybody living with headache or migraine or cluster disease. Um, so yeah, CHAMP great. is a great one. And um, again, there's all these things that we're talking about. Uh, there are links um, from uh, the migrainediva.com uh, webpage too. Um, what, are there other um, affiliations or, I know you, you actually do some writing for migraine.com, is that right? Yes, that's correct. I do some writing for migraine.com. Um, I also write for Healthline Media with their uh, Teva Life Effects program. So you can find my um, writing there. I have links for um, all the articles that I write on my blog. Um, I also write for New Life Outlook for their migraine section. Again, all the links for that are on my blog. So I, I some of it is um, more technical writing. Some of it is a more personal aspect on how migraine affects myself. Um, like how do, you, how do you approach migraine with the upcoming school year um, as a parent with migraine or if you have children with migraine? Um, so topics similar to, to that. Um, how to navigate migraine during the holidays, things like that, and best practices that I use and things that work for me. And um, so you'll find all that on my blog as well. Oh, that's fantastic. You, you just, if you, um, if you go to her blog and click on the resources button, um, there's like years of information consumption available uh and uh it's 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 just it's amazing what uh what do you see as the next steps in your um in evolution as a i don't know not necessarily as a migraine sufferer it's it's rare that somebody's going to say gosh i'm glad that person has migraines but you, people may be saying that about you because you're providing such um such uh, great information secondary to your personal experience. Um, are you, you know, what, what's next for influencing and advo advocacy and uh, what would you like to see happen? Um, well, I'm currently working on starting my own nonprofit, which would focus on people living in uh, communities where there's hardly any access to healthcare that, and these are people that will be living with headache or migraine or cluster and also living with mental health issues. So people living in um, rural areas or people that are living in um, low income areas, people of color, people in the LGBTQ communities um, and people who don't speak English as their first language. This is what I wanna focus on because in my experience, these are people that are forgotten about and not spoken about and not referenced to. Um, and a lot of times these people um, just don't have any access to any kind of specialist at all. Um, and may only use community health centers. 
So I want to focus on how do we go into those communities and educate the health providers in those communities and help educate the people in those communities about their disease and how to live health, live a more healthy life with their disease and give them better resources and access to, uh, to, um, to, to providers and um, really help people in these areas that just aren't being thought of and not spoken of in the conversation. And there is so much co- comorbidity, as we say, um, with migraine. Right. Uh, I, I One of my recent um, episodes was uh, discussing uh, things with uh, a guy named Dr. Ansari, who's the director of the uh, headache clinic at University of California, San Diego. And we were, just, we were talking about medications and how, you know, people just think that, okay, you can be put on an antidepressant because it must have something to do with the actual migraine itself. But in fact, you know, a lot of patients um, have, have depression, anxiety as part of their symptom complex um, for migraines. And it's a, it's a circular event where you're, you know, you're, you're, you've got chronic pain, you're depressed, you're not doing anything to to help things, you're not getting up off the couch, going to have coffee on the on the porch, and the things that you're talking about. Um, and I think a lot of uh, those cycles are not adequately broken, and that, like like you're talking about, it moves into a social commentary on forgotten communities, and you know that they're certainly if you don't have access. Um, you're going to be kind of trapped in this cycle in a much more severe way than than people who do have access to more specialized care. Exactly. And also, um, people's cultures play a role in how they approach their pain and their suffering. Um, And that's important, you know, aspect for me as well. Growing up as not just a black woman, but, you know, a daughter of an immigrant from the West Indies, they both, you know, American black people see pain differently than West Indians do. Um, so there was kind of a clash in how do you treat that and how do you deal with mental illness? Um, so it's very important for me to keep that cultural aspect in mind and, and respect that, um, but be very delicate about how we approach different communities because um, not everybody's going to see things the same way. Um, so we need to know how, do, how are we going to have the right conversation with certain groups of people um, and so that they fully understand, you know, what it is that they're, you know, really experiencing and the best ways to to approach it and treat it. And um, it's important for me because this works for me to be very integrative. I don't rely simply just on medication, but behavioral health is very important. I have a pain psychologist. I use guided meditation deep breathing relaxation acupuncture um on top of like my botox and nerve blocks and massage therapy and i use you know essential oils and cbd salves and you know um magnesium rubs i use a lot of things i use herbal teas watch what i eat like really looking at looking at it as treating the whole body instead of just trying to put a band-aid on a bleeding artery kind of aspect um, is really important. And that's another piece that, you know, a lot of times people don't see, like they just want to 
take a pill and make and make everything go away. Well, no, we need to treat the whole body and make sure everything is in unison because there are a lot of comorbidities. So comorbidities. So we need to make sure that your mental health is being taken care of because there is this vicious vicious cycle that goes on when you're in pain constantly, then you're going to be more in a depressed mood and you're going to be more anxious. And if they're not being treated, then you're just going to fall deeper and deeper into this hole. Um, so we need to treat them all concurrently and we need to treat them all holistically. And I, I think that's a, the better approach um, as opposed to just trying to use, you know, one modality. And this is, uh, you can tell that somebody who's got their uh, finger on the pulse of culture, not only um, uh, is she from near where I grew up, but she is originally from uh, right around the corner from where my family is uh, in in New York. So uh, um, I guess, Jamie, you, you, you grew up in Queens and my family's originally from Valley Stream and certainly uh, couldn't hit a more hotbed of cultural differences uh, there. So I, I, uh, I applaud you on really being uh, aware of that and, and working towards that because, I mean, we see that in, in my practice, you know, different um, ethnicities and just, you know, it doesn't even have to be different ethnicity as it is just a different approach. People who's, who were brought up in uh, a manner where they're paying close attention to their pain or their, uh, you know, various different aspects of their health versus, you know, somebody who's very stoic. Both of those people have a, a significant problem that we're working to, to make better, um, but have different personal approaches to, to their discomfort. Right. So... That's, that's that's great. Well, um, I again, I really thank you very much for taking the time to 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 talk with me. Um, uh, again, I would really suggest anybody listening check out the migrainediva.com. Um, such a wealth of information, as well as a really great way to see that you're not alone. And um, I think you got a bunch of resources, not only for patients to feel better, but feel better about themselves and, uh, and kind of work towards uh, having a, a productive and uh, happy situation, even in the face of uh, what can be uh, quite a painful um, symptom complex. So... Um, so thanks, um, and again, I, I really I wish you the the best uh, going forward, and um, we'll continue to watch watch your blog, and I, I appreciate your involvement. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on today and allowing me to to share my story and my journey, and I really do appreciate that. My pleasure. We'll we'll, we'll look for more great things from you. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Lowenstein once again, and I have two last things to ask of you. Firstly, the thing you can do for fellow headache sufferers is to please remember to subscribe and rate our podcast. 
The more ratings and subscriptions that we get, the more visibility that we'll get, and the more listeners will be able to find us, and the more help and information we'll be able to provide the huge population of people who suffer from headache pain. Secondly, please remember that the treatment of headaches of all types is very individualized. The purpose of this podcast is not to give medical advice, so please use the information here on this podcast and elsewhere that you hear on the internet to broaden your knowledge, but consult with your physician before acting on any information that you hear on podcasts or see on YouTube or read anywhere on the internet. I, as a physician, don't necessarily endorse the opinions or practices of my guests, and if you have particular questions that you'd like to consult with me directly about, please call our Headache Surgery Center. Our phone number is 805-969-9004, or you can email us at info at and my staff will set up a consultation and we can discuss your specific case over the phone or in person. Our website is filled with information as well, and that is headachesurgery.com. Thanks and best wishes from all of us here at the Headache 360 Podcast.